Something um, is happening as I get older and as I um, read scripture. It begins to hit me more emotionally, I'm finding. So sometimes I'm laughing when I read scripture. I'm not laughing at scripture. I think I'm laughing with scripture. Um, I'm seeing some of the humor in these stories start to come out. And sometimes I'm weeping because the power of God's word is, is hitting my heart. And so I find it's interesting as I get older, I'm, I'm just getting more emotional as I read scripture. But I like it. At the very least, these are great stories. But at the very most, this is the word of life. And it should be touching us as we read it. Amen? And there is a wonderful story that we're going to go through in John, the Gospel of John's final chapter, chapter 21. And it's a great story. It's full of humor. In fact, it's full of all sorts of kinds of humor. Irony and, and I would dare say even some slapstick humor going on. And then all of a sudden it changes gears and it becomes intensely dramatic. It's a wonderful story. And this, this story is kind of an epilogue, if you will, to John's gospel. When we went through um, the story of Thomas last week, when Travis took us through that, he finished up where, where John finishes up at the end of chapter 20. John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, the end. But it's not the end. There's this whole other chapter that's still to go through. And I think what's happening here is that there's a loose end that needs to be tied up. And it has to do with Peter. So we have a loose end with Peter here. Here's Peter, who's been singled out earlier in the gospel, numerous times actually, um, in many of the gospels, but especially in John. He's been singled out. So we have, for example, um, in chapter 13... When Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, Peter puts up a fuss about that. He doesn't quite get what Jesus is doing and says that's not a good idea. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to let me do this. And then, of course, later on in that chapter, Peter, who's so... um, Peter who doesn't think before he speaks. Peter who doesn't think before he acts. Um... I see people nodding, so yeah, I relate to that too sometimes. Um, I love Peter. Peter, who, who, um, who knows that Jesus has said that his death is coming, and, and Peter, who says very impetuously, I will follow you right to the end, Lord. Even if these others betray you, I will follow you. And Jesus tells him, no, Peter, you will betray me three times before the rooster crows. Very dramatic stuff. Anyways, So we have this loose end here because later on, I believe it's in chapter 18, Peter does this very thing. Jesus is arrested and he's taken and he's being questioned and people are coming up to Peter and saying, hey, aren't you that guy that hangs up with Jesus? And three times Peter says no. And then again, very dramatically off in the distance, the third time a rooster crows. And so there's all kinds of drama going on here and and there seems to be this this now, this, this loose end that needs to be tied up. What do we do with Peter? What is Jesus going to do with Peter? And so, here we have Jesus, who, again, last week we just looked at this. Jesus, who has appeared before his disciples 
resurrected from the dead. And they, it says they, they are overjoyed. And Peter, I think, would have been one of these. He would have been in there in that room. He would have seen Jesus. He would have been overjoyed with them. Perhaps this is where Peter truly believes now, that Jesus is the living Son of God, just like many of the other disciples. But still, this loose end that has to de- deal with this betrayal. And so here we have chapter 21, and here we're going to read through it. And it begins again with this kind of humorous anecdote of seven disciples in a boat and Jesus on the shore. And, and, and we need this because John's a very dramatic book. It's a very heavy book. There's been a lot of heavy things that we've read, um, so many things that Jesus has spoken about. And then even his very um, resurrection, as joyful as it is, we come out of chapter 20 breathless and bewildered. And I think here the author's saying, Let's just relax for a minute. Let's have some fun. Check out what happened when these disciples went fishing. So feel free to read along with me. We're just going to read through this and look at this together. John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. You ever notice when something terrible has happened or maybe when something really wonderful has happened, you can't just sit around and wait. Eventually, you need to do something. You need to do something normal. So maybe you go to the grocery store or maybe you, you know, take the kids to school and then remember you got to pick them up again. Uh, Maybe you need to do some banking. There's something normal that needs to happen. And if you're a fisherman, you need to go fishing, right? So here's what Peter does. And the disciples say, we'll join you. You can't just wait around forever. You got to do something. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Have you ever had that experience where you're working on something and you're trying to accomplish something? Maybe you're trying to build something or fix something or you're just trying to do something and it's not happening and someone comes up to you and makes the astounding observation that what you're doing is not quite working and just isn't that wonderfully helpful when someone does that, when they say, gosh, what you're doing there is not working, is it? Don't you love that? Friends, haven't you any fish? Jesus called out. No, they answered. No. Thank you, whoever you are, for pointing that out. Fishermen, I'm told that the best day fishing, or sorry, the worst day fishing is better than the best day of work. Would you guys agree with that? Still, it's got to be really lame when you're not catching anything whatsoever, and here these guys are. That's only been my, my experience in fishing, to be honest, so... So Jesus said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And this is even better because when someone makes that astounding observation that what you're doing is not working, isn't it wonderful when they suggest something that's going to help it work? It could be the most perfect suggestion in the world. It could be exactly what you need, but it's not what you want at that moment. It's not what you need to hear. And here's this guy on a beach. Have you got any fish? No. Well, just throw your net on the right side of the boat. Oh, I forgot. Yes, this is the lake where the fish only swim on the starboard side of the boat. Why didn't I think of that? 
sure, we'll throw our fish. I don't know. Maybe if you cast your line on the other side. Fishermen, I don't do this very often, so perhaps I'm missing something here. But you're beginning to see the humor in this. But it says that they did. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So maybe they're humoring Jesus? Sure, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Thank you. It's actually happened before. It happens at the beginning of Luke when Jesus does the same thing. There's a, there's a similar story. Just put your nets in the deeper water. Okay. We've been doing this all night, but because you say so, sure. So maybe they're humoring him, or maybe there's just something about that voice that has to be obeyed. Maybe there's just something about that voice and they do what he says. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, seven guys in a boat. Seven guys in a boat, and the net is so full of fish that seven guys cannot haul this net onto the boat. Now, here's the next part that's great. So here, picture seven disciples struggling to get this net on, hoping it's not going to tear. It doesn't. But they're trying really hard to get this in the boat. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, verse 7, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he lets go of the net. So you got seven guys trying to haul this thing in, and they're not succeeding. And one of them says, Look, it's the Lord. And Peter looks up, and he's like... And he lets go. And now you can imagine six disciples lurching over, trying not to lose this thing. And then Peter does something brilliant. He puts on his outer garment, he says, and he jumps into the water. It's Peter's Forrest Gump moment. You know that scene in Forrest Gump when the ship's going along and there's Lieutenant Dan on the dock and Forrest is so excited, he just steps right off and into the water and the SS Jenny just keeps on going, crash. That's Peter's Forrest Gump moment. But he wants to be dignified, so he puts on the outer garment first, and then he jumps into the water. I love this. And not to over-romanticize this story at all, but I picture Jesus on the shore laughing his head off out of love for these guys. And this hilarious scene of seven disciples in a boat trying to get this net in, one of them jumping into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Peter gets out of the water. He's drying off. The disciples finally row their boat to shore. And here's this breakfast waiting for them. Fresh fish. But then Jesus says, bring some more. That speaks to me that, guys, we're going to feast a little bit. Bring some extra. We're going to need it. We're going to take our time with this. We're going to enjoy this time together. It's beautiful. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Third time in the Gospel of John that this has happened. That Jesus has appeared before them. I get that question, wanting to ask, who are you? 
and yet they know. I've asked it every time I've held one of my kids in my arms after they've been born. Who are you? Are you for real? Are you really here? And yet, you know. You know they're here. I asked the same thing about five minutes after we got married, where I turned to Kate and said, is this really for, like, wow, is this, who are you? <laughs> Almost 17 years later, I'm starting to figure it out. It's good, it's good. But, but here's this intimate setting that they're invited to. And here they get to sit with Jesus and enjoy this meal, and quite a meal it looks like it's going to be. And I love that Jesus ties this moment with food. He likes to do that, doesn't he? There's a reason why communion was tied to food. There's a reason why Jesus said what he said at that Last Supper with a meal. Our senses sometimes are so linked to taste and smell, aren't they? And here, Jesus is linking another moment In fact, if you look at this chapter, uh, the second half of it, if you have NIV translation, it's called Jesus Reinstates Peter. This is Peter's reinstatement, reestablishing who Peter is and what he's to do for Christ. And, And it says that it begins in verse 15, but I think it's actually beginning here. I think it's beginning with this, this breakfast on a beach. Travis talked about this not too long ago. Remember, I think it was with Zacchaeus, when you're When you're joining somebody for dinner, it's like you're saying, we're equals, we're good. And we remember just how terrible Zacchaeus was, the things that he had done, and just how astounding it was that Jesus would say, let's hang out. And here it is again. This reinstatement has already begun over a meal. And I wonder where Peter before, the last time he had a meal with Jesus would have been at this Last Supper, at least according to the Gospel of John, and while he would have remembered the things that Jesus said, I wonder too if he remembered over and over, I tell you, Peter, you will betray me three times. And yet now, every time Peter smells fish on a fire, does he remember this moment too? Peter, eat and remember. And here the story changes. Here the story shifts gear, where we've had this really humorous anecdote Seven disciples on a boat trying to fish. One of them jumping overboard. This this lovely intimate moment. All of a sudden, the story shifts. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And again, I have to wonder what's going on at this moment. Are the disciples all chatting amongst each other? Are they laughing amongst each other? Are they sharing stories? Jesus, remember when he did this? Jesus, remember when this happened? Still haven't been to a wedding as great as the one in Cana three years ago. That was incredible. What are the conversations they're having amongst each other? And then Jesus turns to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Did Peter even fully catch the question at first? Was he still chuckling about something? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And now has he really caught Peter's attention? And as the smile perhaps faded off Peter's face and he realizes something really profound is beginning to happen here. Something really important is happening here. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's going on here? Is Jesus being emotionally manipulative? Is this about Peter's three times betrayal? So Jesus is asking him three times in a row? Kind of hurts, doesn't it, Peter? Is that what's going on? I tell you the truth, Jesus says. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. There's something very powerful hearing a young child read those words. And I I wonder, when Jesus is asking Peter these questions, what's really happening? Peter, I need you to really hear this question. Because how you answer this question is going to affect your response to my command. Follow me. These three questions and these three commands, I think, are all summed up in this, follow me, Peter. And I think this is where it's summed up for us as well. Follow me. Following the command will only be effective if it is tied to a deep love and devotion for Christ. Peter, do you love me? And I think that's a question for every one of us here. Put your name in for Peter's. Daniel, do you love me? Caleb, do you love me? We are in need of that same question because there are times in our lives where we have, where we will, betray Jesus. Now, betrayal is a heavy word, and it makes me uncomfortable to use that word. But when I look up the definition of betrayal and what it stands for, it encompasses everything that I feel happens when I sin against the Lord. It's to be unfaithful. It's to act in a way that is contrary to what was agreed on. It is to deceive or to misguide or to corrupt. And if that sounds heavy, it's because it is heavy. And one thing I worry about is that we make too light of our sins sometimes. And when we do that, we make light of the price that Christ paid on the cross for us. And we need to watch out for that. The Christian life cannot be about following Christ when we feel like it and then just dropping Jesus when persecution occurs, or more often in our case, when it becomes inconvenient. Now, I don't say this to be extremely heavy, that we don't go around starting to beat ourselves on the back because of our sin. That's the other end of it, which is just as dangerous, just as harmful, not what Christ intended. But I do worry that we make too light sometimes of God's grace. Rather, we are called to devote our entire lives to Christ. And that's a really profound thing for me to preach. I hope it's a profound thing to hear. It's certainly a profound thing to live out. 
And, and we always talk about it, and we always sing about it. When I survey the wondrous cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Doesn't that sound pretty in a song? <laughs> and then you actually look at those words by themselves and you think, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I've said it once, and I'll say it again. Be careful what songs you sing at church, folks. We forget that Christ freed us from death. And that applies that he wants us to live. And that life begins today, now. So even though we fall, and we will fall, we are invited immediately to join Christ on the beach for breakfast. Receive that invitation. Accept that invitation to do so. The fish is ready, and bring some more, because the feast will go on for a little while, and there's lots to talk about, and we are invited to come and do so. Peter, do you love me? We are in need of that same question because, again, it reminds us that we are invited to serve God with this deep love and this deep devotion. And if any of us here this morning are questioning that, remember, it's not something that gets figured out immediately when we begin to serve Christ. It's something that daily, weekly, as we go through life, we learn more and more what this love is all about. When Kate and I were first married, I didn't know everything there was to know about what it meant to love her. And she didn't know exactly what it meant to love me. But after almost 17 years, we're really figuring that out. And we're seeing through the times, the, the good times, but also the really hard times, just how much it means to be loving and devoted to each other. And so it is with our relationship with Christ. We learn as we go. We have a patient teacher Peter, do you love me? We are in need of that same question because we need to remember as Jesus asks it, he does so in a way that shows that he will provide for us as he leads us. He will provide for us as we follow that command to follow Christ. Out of this devotion, we follow Christ. Though the path we are led on is unknown, we know that we can trust in him and he will lead us through it. And again, I see this with breakfast on the beach. It was simple, but very substantial for what the disciples needed at that moment. And it speaks to me that Christ will always have exactly what we need when we need it. Not always what we want. I know what I want. I want a long life that's comfortable and as free of problems and difficulties as much as possible. But I know that that's not often the case hasn't been in my life. Chances are it hasn't been in yours. Sadly, that is hardly a reality, but we follow one that regardless of what happens in this world will provide for us and even will provide for us a lifelong lasting. Take Psalm 23, verses 4 through 6. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. You prepare breakfast for me on the beach. In the presence of my enemies, even, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And then some, because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever life long-lasting. 
Or take Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life. I often don't preach on eternity or, or life in heaven. I, I worry sometimes that we can get so focused on that, we forget about what we're meant to do here, today, now. But you know what? It's just as important. It's just as important a promise for us to live in, this promise of long-lasting life. And so here we are, called to love the Lord, invited to love the Lord with this deep devotion so that we might follow what He has for us to do. Not always what we want to do. Not always what we choose to do. But we know that we trust one who will lead us through and provide us everything we need to do what we need to do. And so the question is asked of us, because we too are commanded to follow him, may we come to know Jesus more deeply. May we come to love him every day and follow the one who so deeply desires to know us that we may be able to that we might be able to look on him and say to him yes lord my savior my provider you know that i love you amen amen let's pray heavenly father i thank you that as you did with peter as you did with every one of those disciples, Lord, that turned back to you. You receive them. Indeed, you invite them to turn back. You prepare for them, Lord God, a time to be together, to talk, to laugh, to enjoy each other's company, but also to strengthen them, Lord, for what you've called them to do and how they will glorify you, Lord. And Lord, you call each and every one of us the same way. Lord, to come to the table, to share with you, to remember and celebrate who you are and what you have done. You call us, Lord God, to be in relationship with you, to strengthen us for what you want us to do. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here this morning, Lord God, where they are in doubt or fear, where they are uncertain, where they are afraid, Lord, I pray, break through that fear. Break through that doubt. Continue, Lord God, to show them who they are to you. Precious. Beloved. Saved. Paid for by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Strengthen us, Lord, in the things that we are called to do that we might truly glorify your name, Lord God here in this place and out in the world every day, Lord. We thank you that you see in us people worth working with, Lord God. You see in us people that can do amazing things for your kingdom, young or old, whatever the case is, Lord God. Thank you. We love you, Lord. We bless you in this place now. We look forward to sharing at the table together, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Bless you.